What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Comet ML Open Office Hours. It is Sunday, August 29th. Three more months left in the year. That's crazy, man. Just thinking about that, how fast this, this year has gone. Four more months. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess there's <laughs> September, October, November, December. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, four more months left in the year. Uh, hopefully, you guys got a chance to tune into the podcast episode that I released earlier this weekend on Friday with Jeff Lee. Um, that was a cool episode. He's a real cool guy. Uh, he spit a freestyle flow for us. So if you caught the first 30 seconds of the uh, the Sizzler, you can hear him uh, busting some rhymes for us. Uh, and then also, I was actually on the Ken G podcast, or rather Ken's Nearest Neighbor podcast earlier uh, this week as well. He released that on Wednesday. So that was a great conversation, um, hanging out with Ken. Uh, so it's always a good time. Uh, so hopefully you guys get a chance to check those out and stay tuned for another uh, couple of awesome episodes coming your way uh, over the next couple of weeks. Got one releasing with uh, Max Frenzel. He's an AI researcher, and uh, we talk a, a lot about burnout. Uh, when I recorded that episode with Max, it was, um, I think it might have been February of this year when we recorded. And, and that time, dude, I was going through some really, really severe burnout issues. Um, and so it was nice to just kind of open up to him and talk about that and get some tips on how to deal with that. Um, but if you guys are watching here live on YouTube or on LinkedIn or whatever it is that you are joining us from, first of all, you are more than welcome to join us right here in the Zoom room and be part of the conversation. All you got to do is click on the link that is in the description for the video. You could join us. For those of you listening on the podcast, wondering how you could join us in the future, simply go to http colon slash slash bit.ly forward slash comet dash ml dash oh and you can register for future office hour sessions um so if you got questions wherever you're watching go ahead and drop them right there in the comment section or right here in the chat if you're if you're here and we'll get to them um so let's, let's go ahead and start taking some questions christoph i know you uh you, you said you had a question queued up for us here man so let's uh, dig into it uh, everybody else listening all questions are welcome i see a few new names coming in here rishi what's up prashant what's up Deepak, what's up? Uh, all questions are welcome, man. Any questions you guys got, whether it's career-related, productivity-related, life-related, whatever, man, everything. It's it's all it's all fair game here. Christoph, go for it. I'm not able to hear you, unfortunately. So there's some some audio uh, issues. Uh, if not, in the meantime, Calcub, Calcub, uh, I know you had a question uh, that you're that you're burning to ask me, so, so or something that you want to discuss. So by all means, man, Calcub, go for it. If you're still still there. All right. Well, it looks like Calcub's not there and Christoph is not there. Uh, so it's just us. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. Oh. All right. Good, man. Good to have you back, man. What's going on? Finally, I got a job offer as a Python developer. And uh, they said that after three months, uh, they will move me as a machine learning engineer. So that's a good news for me. Hey, man. Congrats, man. That's awesome. I know you've been working really, really hard to, to land this offer. Dude. I'm very happy for you. Where's this at? Where are you going to be working at? Uh, well, uh, for now, it will be remote, but it will be... Do you, do you know Infovision? So Infovision is a okay. company that gave me the offer letter, and they said that I would be working with a city bank with some of their major projects that is happening. Okay, so like a, a contract kind of contract to hire. Yeah, there is a contract job, but they said that the contract is minimum of three years, and nice. and it is paying me. Uh, I told you about the pay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like 
including benefit benefits and bonuses all of that is is there that's awesome, man. Congratulations. I know you've been working really, really hard. I know you're going through uh, tons of applications and interviews, just persistence and just getting better and better at the process. Yep. You just crushed it, man. So very excited for you. That's awesome. News, so, so Harvard, uh, they gave me the offer letter and they right now saying, they are saying uh, they need minimum of two to three weeks to onboard me. Uh, since this is my first job, is that is that usual or something is going on there? No, I think that's pretty pretty typical. Yeah, I just I logged into my <laughs> comment email address. I got a bunch of meetings for for onboarding and stuff like that happening. And I think especially when it's everything's remote now, it makes makes more sense to kind of extend that process because you got to deal with yeah, multiple process. calendars and stuff. Uh, but I think yeah, onboarding you know onboarding really could could take anywhere up to like four to six weeks because you have to learn the ropes of everything uh you know what you gotta learn the team gotta learn your project where the data is at what you're gonna be working on things like that so that's a typical typical so, unless they're unless they're trying to say unless they're trying to say that they're not going to pay you during the onboarding period uh then i'd be then i'd be a bit suspicious about that as long as they're paying so you they, they did not talk about uh they did not talk about whether they will pay me or they will not pay me they will, yeah. They they typically will. The onboarding process is just you know just you you getting familiar with the with the ins and outs of the company and the team and and things like that. So uh, and then uh, they gave me the offer letter and it was a quick hire. Like I had the interview on Wednesday and they gave me a call back on Friday. They said that they want to meet with me for twenty to thirty minutes in a Zoom interview. And I met them and they gave me an offer like at five o'clock in the afternoon. And then the recruiter calls me that uh, like you are set, you are confirmed, but they are going to do the background check and the drug test. So that process usually takes two to three weeks. Yeah, um, that's pretty pretty standard, pretty, pretty standard, standard stuff. And I mean, it's they probably really liked your your portfolio projects and i've you know i've seen your projects that you know, i've been working with you for quite some time uh so there's no doubt to me that um that they wanted to move so quick to to lock it in so that's that's i mean that's atypical to get an offer that quickly usually it might take you know a week or two uh, i just think that means that they're really uh really bullish on you meaning they really were you know have have high hopes uh for this so i think that's great um and you know just don't do drugs and you'll be fine <laughs> yeah, I don't drink drugs. I never smoke in my life, so yeah. I don't worry about that. Yeah, right on, man. Well, congratulations. Uh, we got a congrats coming here in, in LinkedIn. Dustin is saying, uh, "Congrats, Calcub. That's awesome." So you know, that's you know, I'm happy for you. I know everybody else listening and tuning in is happy for you too. Uh, I mean, me especially, man, because we've been working together for a long time. So I, I know how much effort uh, you've been putting in. So congratulations, man. Super excited yeah. for you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Right on. Uh, feel free to hang around, man. If you got questions or if you got comments or anything, please do let us know, Calcub. Let's uh, move on to uh, Christoph's uh, question. Uh, let's see if Christian, Christoph has uh, any audio issues. If if not, I think I said issues wrong. Uh, if not, then we got some questions coming in on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Christoph, go for it. Nope. Uh, this is uh, strange. I don't know what's going on, man. Uh, try to... Uh, have you have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, if I hit ask to unmute, what happens? 
Uh, if not, give, give it a shot. Why don't you go ahead, toggle this stuff and just try to see if you can uh, jump in and we'll get to you. But um, we'll move on to uh, some other questions coming in from LinkedIn here. Uh, how do you, this come from Christian. Christian, what's going on, man? He's also, uh, he's got a podcast of his own. Uh, good friend, Christian. How do you suggest navigating balancing deadlines and data debt creation with the business? And this is a data engineering question. Uh, let's see, how do you, how do you suggest navigating balancing deadlines and data debt creation? So what do you mean by data debt creation? Do you mean like technical debt? Um, Christian, if you could jump into the room and, and, and uh, uh, talk to us about this a bit further, man, that'd be super, super helpful. I'll actually go ahead and, and share a link to the, uh, to the Zoom call right there on LinkedIn. If you could join in, that'd be, that'd be awesome. But uh, I'm assuming you're saying technical debt is what you mean. Um, so if that's the case, I mean, navigating... Navigating balancing deadlines. All right, so deadlines are always kind of hard to meet, and I think that's just all about prioritization, right? Uh, so there's that matrix, uh, what's called the Eisenhower matrix for prioritization that could be helpful. But for me, it, it's always been just what is the most highest impact thing that I could be working on at this moment that is going to push the needle forward for whatever thing the company is trying to do, and focus on that, right? So um, if you got multiple like stakeholders coming to you with multiple requests, um, you're going to have to talk to them and figure out what is it that is the most impactful, right? Like if you're going to work hard on something, if you're going to push, push through on something, you got to make sure that whatever you're doing is, is, you know, going to have the maximum impact. And Christian, I see that you're in the room so we can, we can go to you so you can clarify the question to make sure that. Uh, hey, awesome. Can you hear yeah. me? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly fine. Awesome. Unlike some, so some people in the chat, Christoph, I'm joking. Yeah, no, what I what I mean by my question, Harpreet, um, appreciate you inviting me on too, by the way. So hi, everyone. I'm Christian Steiner. Uh, data engineering is uh, kind of my realm right now, my world. Um, so balancing uh, not actually having a proper data model, um, whether it's star schema or a Kimball uh, methodology um, from a data warehousing standpoint, we're just dealing with raw transactional data right now in my current world. Um, I'll keep it high level, but um, you know, having that proper dimensional model in place uh, would really, really help us. But when the business is pressuring you to hit all these deadlines, you know, we end up with these nasty, you know, multiple subqueried, uh, you know, inner joins, left joins, um, and then we just roll that into our BI tool and visualize it. But that's not really, you know, how it's supposed to go um, from, you know, the tool that I utilize is Looker. Um, so really, you're supposed to have a, a proper model, a data model in place when you're utilizing it. So we're pressed for deadlines. So I find myself in this constant battle of trying to explain to the business that we need more time or that we need to develop a data model. But they also have the priorities coming, you know, downstream from the executives. So I guess that's, that's kind of where I'm going with it. And I just suggesting how to how to navigate that or communicate it in a way that the message kind of gets across smoother, maybe. Um, but yeah, that's 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 kind of what I had in mind. So, are there any reports that you have in the organization that are um, created kind of on a ongoing, consistent kind of periodic basis? And yep. if you do have those reports like that, can you calculate the time that it takes for manual effort to create one of those reports, right? And then you could say, look, right now we've got this one report that you guys are looking at every week, but it takes this. You know, it takes three of us five hours a week to collectively put an effort just to create this report, right? And if we're doing this every week because it's manual, 
you know, that's 15 labor hours over the course of 52 weeks, because you're getting this report 52 times, it costs this amount of money, right? You know, you could say that it costs 15 times 52 times whatever average hourly rate. And that's just a dollar value fixed to it. And you can say, all right, this is what it's costing us to create these reports in terms of time. Now, if we wanted to try to put in some effort upfront right now, maybe we spend 40 to 60 hours creating a pipeline that takes this transactional data and just automates the aggregation and summarization of it, puts it into a data warehouse so that it just plugs in nicely into what Looker in, in your case. Um, sure. Then we put in that effort up front. Now all of a sudden you're getting this not only every week, you're getting it every hour, every minute, how, whatever freshness you want the data, you can have it. And we don't have to do this over and over every week, right? So you can just automatically come in with a kind of a reduction in, in cost just in terms of time for putting in that effort. I think sure. that's probably, yeah, that, you know, I like you multiply that, that, multiply that by however many reports you guys got that you're working on. Um, so. That's how I would approach it. I mean, it's a very similar situation that some every company has this type of issue, right? Um, sure. Everybody wants everything yesterday, but they don't want to spend the time to get it in place. And they're just like, what is all this stuff? Why do we have to do all this? Blah, blah. Um, but you want to make it look and feel like nothing changes for them. Just explain that to them. Like, look, you don't have to do anything different on your end. It's just us on the back end, streamlining stuff, making stuff cleaner and neater, easier to troubleshoot, easier for us to add in any visuals or any summaries that you are interested in we can do that real quickly for you now instead of having to redo everything rebuild the wheel type of thing sure that's how i'd approach that i love it and i love actually quantifying the bottom line dollar that it's costing them now so yeah. for instance i'm dealing with a quarterly report right now um so that's as far as i'll get into it but yeah um, that's it's 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 just been a challenge and we found a hiccup on Friday and it was, it's like the deadline is Friday. It was Friday. And so now, you know, all of us engineers are like scrambling to have to include this inner join potentially, you know, it's, it's like a two sub query inner join. It's, it's just wild because the um, ERP that we're utilizing to pull this is transactional. So it's very uh, dynamic fields that can change depending on how you sub query it. So yeah, it's, it's just been, it's, it's been a lot of learning, a lot of learning for sure. It sounds uh, very, very familiar to me. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to go to Austin. Austin, uh, go for it. And then there's some uh, great comments coming in from Dustin that I'll read off. Um, he's coming in from LinkedIn here. Uh, but go sure. for it, Austin. Sure. I think there's like a more general sort of uh, premise here, which is, and I, and I think no matter if you're working in the kind of role you're working in, Christian, or, or what I do, sort of in this like head of community and trying to uh, this communication to business stakeholders is like to find ways to um, like to speak in their language. Cause like the, I think the struggle is like these kinds of things are deeply personal, right? Like you're having to experience this thrash and this difficulty in getting your project done. So to you, it feels like I can't like, I, this is personal. Like I can't do this work and my team can't do this work. Um, and so that, that, but like figuring out a way to um, turn it around and pitch it to the leadership or whoever it is in a way that speaks their language. So it's like bottom line dollars or um, excess resources they're spending or, um, you know, showing them what the before and after looks like somehow, some, some way that puts it in their context as like business leaders and, and is empathetic to like what they have to, who, who they have to report to and who they have to sort of like work up the chain. Um, it's not always easy, but I think like the more, um, it can become depersonalized and about like the goals of the organization writ large. Um, it's like, we're doing this thing at Comet where we're sort of looking at our documentation um, and, and thinking about a refactoring of it. 
And, you know, instead of just like have going off a hunch of how we feel, the way we're getting green light on this is to go, you know, do a survey with our users and do some EDA on that and like do this whole process so that when we go to the leadership, it's like we're speaking their language about like, you know, we're responding to this user feedback and we're going to execute this in, in this very particular way. So having that sort of ammunition um, that speaks in their language, I think is super important no matter what you're doing, whether it's a data position or something else. But I think in this case, it's like, I think Harpreet's exactly right is putting together like a bottom line calculation is speaking their language. So that's the general point is that like, what is it that they need to hear um, to, to, you know, implement that in the, into their like view of the company or in their context, I think is a general point is important. Yeah, I appreciate that so much too, like being newer to data engineering. Um, you get so in the weeds with, you know, cause I'm like trying to learn about data warehousing right now, you know, learning about the ETL behind it and then looker on a very admin level, something I never had to worry about as an analyst. I get so in the weeds, I forget to kind of take a step back from that business context, which seems obvious, but I guess it's, it's not all the time for me. So appreciate it. Yeah. I'm going to read off some comments coming in from LinkedIn from Dustin, then we'll go to uh, Paul. Uh, so Dustin saying, I try to spend some time each Sunday evaluating the best way to spend a majority of my time for the week uh, based upon what will add most value to the business. I really like that approach. That's kind of similar to the approach that uh, that I do with these, with these, uh, have like a blank sheet that I, that I fill out every Sunday and just talk about what it is that I, I plan on accomplishing uh, over the course of the week. Um, I've yet to fill mine out. Dustin also says dedicating time to things that will have a high long term return, such as automation, uh, fall into the important but not urgent category, uh, which it's so important to block and dedicate time towards regularly. Uh, thank you, Dustin, very much. And Dustin, by, by all means, man, click that link right up there. Uh, join us in the room if you're free. Paul, man, uh, good to meet you. I don't think we've ever met. Thanks for uh, coming and hanging out with us. Go for it. Yes, thank you for having me. This is really cool. I just logged on to LinkedIn and I saw people talking about data science. So I was like, all right, like <laughs> I'll hop in for a sec. Awesome, uh, man. Yeah, happy to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I was curious about transitioning from analytics into data science as a path rather than just uh, going for a master's. Uh, I didn't plan on doing a master's and I thought it would be like smoother to go from a data analyst into a data science position because then I would have been working with data for a while. Um, but do you think that step is even necessary? Or after, so I'm a student right now. So, and I graduate in a year. Um, and I'm studying data science. So when I graduate, I was planning on just going for the analyst job first and then trying to go into data science. But do you think that step is necessary or should I just apply straight for data science positions? Uh, yeah, few few kind of points in that I think definitely start applying for data science positions. Why not? But then also apply for, for data analyst positions. Um, uh, the question about, do you actually need a master's to get into data science? I don't necessarily think so. It will, it will be helpful. Absolutely. Um, but like, let's kind of dig a little bit more into that. Like, so you're currently a student. Are you also working as well? Or do you have prior work experience? Or are you a student in graduate school or are you a student in undergraduate school? Uh, I'm an undergraduate and I, I'm currently working uh, for a Blue Bonnet Data, which is like, it does... Um, we do uh, data analytics for political campaigns. And I also think I'm going to start on a research project. 
I just did an interview last week uh, for this semester. Um, so that's a possibility. And they're both kind of analytics based, like using Tableau. Yeah. Um, just a, a, an episode on my podcast I think you'll really enjoy was with Cian Lewis. And Cian Lewis uh, does uh, data science on political type of, of data. Uh, so I, we talk a little bit about that, like how to do feature engineering and stuff like that. Uh, so it's definitely uh, an episode worth checking out. Um, I think in your case, man, like, like you're in you're already working with data and you're about to graduate. I would start just applying for data science positions, right? Mm-hmm. Simultaneously apply for data analyst positions, see whichever ones you get call back from, you know, see how you progress along to the interview process. Um, you know, don't not apply for the data science positions. Just you know, should apply for those. Um, but like if, if you got the fundamental skills, right, there's obviously the quantitative background that, that you need, but then also just the technical skills of like, do you know, SQL, do you know, Python or R, right? Can you go from data to a decision without getting stumped, right? Like, do you know, like, a, do you have a principled workflow for executing on a data project? Um, having those things in place, I think are much more important than, than the actual degree that you leave school with. I'll pause there to let to, to to let you ask any further questions or let me know if that was helpful or not. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's helpful. Um, so in terms of applying, do you suggest because I do have this um, thing with my school where I can apply like recruiters reach out to the school specifically and then like there's LinkedIn. What's the best way to apply? And also I'm graduating in a year. So should I apply now? Or should I wait till I get closer? Or where are you located? Uh, I'm in Berkeley. I go to UC Berkeley. Oh, nice, nice. I'm actually from Sacramento, so right down the street ish, kind of right down 80. That's where I'm from. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Bay so, area. Yeah, yeah. So I think in in Bay Area, like you got an abundance of opportunities out there, and I think there might be even be an abundance of opportunities for internship type of roles as well. So I think maybe from now until the next like four to six months, try to apply for internship roles. And then once you're like six months from graduation, then start applying for those full-time roles. I think that's a good kind of cadence to, to do it. Um, I know Calco was here talking about how he got hired in like a day. Uh, that's not typical. Um, wow. <laughs> typically, typically the job search process can take a few weeks, you know, like six to eight weeks for, for interviewing with the company, like from from the time you apply to the time you actually get an offer, it could go up to like eight weeks, realistically. Um, okay. So that that is a is a uh, time frame. Uh, Calcub wants to chime in here, so Calcub, go for it. So for for you, Paul, I said since you are still in schools, uh, right? For me, I mean, you don't have to. You can totally ignore my advice or recommendation. Uh, right now, the way the job market is. Uh, for example, I was with Harpit for over a long, long year. I, I met Harpit like in, in the beginning of January. He was pushing me to keep applying, keep applying. Well, that is true. But my experience is that right now, nobody wants to hire a machine learning engineer from start. Well, that is my experience again. So since you are in school, try to get some kind of Python developer internship where you could get some hands-on activity. Like you are 
building a model, you are deploying it to AWS, deploying it to Heroku. And then once you put those on your resume, you will see so many recruiters will contact you. Even if you don't say you want to be an ML engineer, but they will say, since you've got a coding experience, uh, we need someone to do machine learning. And we don't care if you have any experience in machine learning, uh, they will teach you. So you need one experience to really put that on that project, put that onto the resume, and then you will see tons of recruiters will contact you. You don't even have to look for a job. And it happens for me over the four weeks ago. Uh, I did not apply to any jobs, but 2,000 recruiters uh, like messaged me in four weeks. So. So that, that brings me brings me to my yeah. second point, like that he's touching yeah. on. Another point I want to mention is projects. That like, you have to do some projects as well, right? So as much as you can in the next, like you know, now now until year, uh, you know, you want to make sure you do a bunch of projects. So make sure uh, projects with models, like because I have some uh, data analytics projects like using tableau but it's not really applying any machine learning yet yeah um, those, are, those are how to get ready for data science roles by use of the models yeah so i would i would recommend like three types of projects for anyone's portfolio like i think these three types of projects will cover the the depth of experience that you would be required to to, to have or the depth of skills you'd be required to have as as you know somebody breaking into data science First is just a project where maybe all you're doing is um, like a data engineering type of project, right? Like something where you're pulling data from somewhere, some source. It could be just getting daily data from the weather channel, right? API, and then doing some manipulations and aggregations or whatever you want to do, you know, combining that with other data sources and then pushing the aggregated tables to either a local database or maybe a, a cloud database, right? Data engineering type of, of project, an e, essentially an ETL project, right? The second type of project I would suggest is one that's heavy on exploratory data analysis, heavy on you know statistics and things like that, right? So that would be kind of more of the analytics-ish type of project. Um, so heavy on exploratory data analysis, statistics, things like that. And then the other one would be just an end-to-end -end, like machine learning project, right? Um, and that's just you know building out building out a model, and that's everything from coming up with the problem, you know, problem framing, designing your question, uh, finding the appropriate data, and then once you get the appropriate data, doing whatever data cleaning steps you need to do, then building out the model, uh, well, doing the exploration, exploring your data, building out the model, and then if you want to put the icing on the cake for that. Like deploy it either it, it make it so that it could be deployed either locally just in your web browser right on local host or uh, deployed in in on aws or something like that like Calco was mentioning um that way you're i mean and, and if you do that with as much real world data as possible that way you're uh, showcasing not only that you've got the technical skills in terms of education but you could actually do the work okay I, uh if it's okay i had a follow-up question yeah sure um, so I have done a project that's kind of similar to the last one you mentioned, 
So um, I, I did a K nearest neighbors project where essentially I watched a dating show on YouTube and I typed in all the uh, pickup lines that people were using. And then I created like an algorithm to predict the, eff the efficacy of the pickup lines. Um, and it works with a 63% accuracy. Um, and so first of all, one question was I didn't use it. I kind of used it using the tools that I learned in one of my classes, which aren't like industry standard tools. They're just like built in from the Berkeley API. Um, and then, so that has to do with like, oh yeah, that, that's kind of what I wrote in the summary. Like at least it's better than just guessing. Yeah. But that goes to my second question, which was how do I like know how good that algorithm even is? Cause I just, I don't know what to compare it to. Like, how do I address like how effective that even is? Yeah. So you need a baseline. You need like the, you need to have a baseline algorithm or baseline measure of some sort baseline prediction. Uh, and then anything you do that's more complex than that baseline, then you can proclaim that you have made an improvement or that machine learning is a suitable task for this type of problem. Um, so for example, like, you know, let's just say you're doing, uh, your example is tough to come up with a baseline with. I would have to think about that and work through it. But let's just say you're doing like a, a linear regression or re let me rephrase that. Let's just say you're doing a regression problem, right? So if you're doing a regression problem, maybe a, a baseline model that you can build is just a simple linear regression, right? Simple linear regression with all of the variables input, right? Um, and find out or, or even simpler than that. Maybe even simpler than linear regression, you could say, you know what, I'm just going to predict the average value from the training set on all unseen data, right? And make that my baseline model, right? Simple baseline that, that will give you an answer. And then, okay, once you do that, you're going to have your mean squared error or MAE, whatever it is that you want. Um, and then from there, build out more and more complex models to see what does better than that baseline. So you always need to have a baseline. Um, so I'd recommend checking out, um, I'll, I'll drop a link in the chat, but there's uh, uh, Jason Brown Lee from Machine Learning Mastery has a great um, article about just the importance of having baseline models in machine learning. So I highly recommend checking that out. Um, but then also, man, just like that question that you're solving, like that project, that problem statement, like that's super interesting in itself. That would be enough for me to be like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Let me bring this guy in for an interview to talk to him about that project, right? Mm -hmm. Cool. This is the importance of having really unique, different, interesting projects that you just find interesting, right? Um, right. And as long as you're able to paint a story about why you did that project and and talk about it in an interview, make it interesting, and then walk somebody through your entire process. How did you collect data? How did you clean the data? You know, why came your neighbors and your entire thought process? If you talk about that not only in the project and like an executive summary, but if you talk about it in in the interview itself, it that's gold, man. So, uh, yeah, I, I like that. Uh, thank you for um, all this great advice. Is this something that you do normally on Sundays? Yeah. So we, I got yeah, I got two um, sessions. So this one is every Sunday. Um, uh, I'll drop a link to register in the chat. There actually, might be a, yeah, there might be a link to register in uh, in the comments, but I'll drop a link to register there. We got one on Sunday, and I got one on Fridays as well, uh, four thirty p.m. Central Time. Nice. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. Are yeah, we... definitely. And you know what? It gets messy experimenting with machine learning. I suggest you check out Comet ML's experimentation management platform as well. 
because I think the sooner you get comfortable with managing your experience, experiments, the easier it will become when you're in the industry and working. Um, and it's just part of more principled workflow as well. Um, so definitely keep an eye out for more awesome uh, content coming from us in the near future. That sounds good. Thank you. Right on. Um, cool. Uh, feel free to hang around uh, by all means. Um, and I'm checking the chat here. Uh, Natasha, how's it going? Uh, Natasha suggesting the same thing, do projects. Yep. Uh, Christoph saying 63% is better than random guessing. Yep. Uh, and Christoph wants to know, what did you learn for the project? Uh, sorry, what did you use for the project? Uh, Python and scikit-learn? Um, yeah, so I use Python and then I just use like a UC Berkeley plugin to do all the uh, data analysis and like uh, table manipulation. Um, and then I kind of just built the K nearest neighbors from scratch, just like based off of um, a lab that I was doing in the data science class. So like we did a lab about K nearest neighbors and it was about like predicting the genre of a movie. Um, so then I just took everything in there and then just did it with these pickup lines instead. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, Austin, go for it. Yeah, I have one thought, Paul, just, um, and I don't know technically um, how this would work exactly, but once, if, if you're sort of worried about industry standard and, and, and using something like a, like the, the sort of Berkeley system for this, I think one thing you could do is um, if it's an interesting project to you that you want to pursue or push a little further, um, you could sort of reproduce it using sort of more tools like scikit-learn or, or like that are out there that the industry is using. And so that sort of can sh like help you, you know, become more comfortable with those and actually show then a very unique project through those tools. And you've already done a lot of the, the heavy lifting up front to like set up the project and, you know, come up with the, the approach and everything like that. And then the last thing I wanted to say too, is like, you know, I think, um, I we at Comet, we really needed some round, a round of hiring of like data scientists and machine learners. Um, and the thing that was more important was like the communication around process and less around like, you know, given, you know, a sample data set, how accurate were you able to train a model? It's more around like, how do you communicate that? How do you communicate the limitations of your approach, right? So if you're on this first version of this project, like what would the next steps would be? We would have to experiment with um, like a do a run a hyperparameter sweep, or we would have to experiment with X, Y, Z different algorithms to, to, you know, improve on this baseline. And if, if, you know, if hiring managers or whoever see that, they see that you have this sort of like regimented thorough approach from going from a, a simple test, like baseline model, and you understand how to add complexity along the way and not just like the first result was 99% accuracy. Like that's not the most important thing. I, I got to believe that for, for, um, for most folks. So just, just a couple of, of thoughts there. I think um, reproducing that experiment using more common tools and then sort of like really leaning into that communication and expressing the limitations and being okay with that, I think is, uh, is super important. Yeah. Um, Excellent skills to have like as a professional data scientist as well. Might as well start developing those now so that you just are streets ahead of your competition. Yeah, I think I'm going to open this project up and try it try it again with because i'm taking a class where we're learning more about machine learning but using like uh, pandas and like numpy and all the just like industry standards um so i think i'll just try to uh like you said just like transfer it on to those instead um yeah thank you austin yeah and uh there's a link right there in the chat for uh for the article on baselines 
uh, anti uh, anti assane reproducing a project, whether someone else's, say translating from Python to R, or your own, an old project that you now know how to do better, have been the ones where I feel I've learned the most. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Revisiting something and just trying to make it better is definitely a good way to uh, build your intuition and feel better about how far you've come since you uh, first started it. Um, shout out to everybody else that joined in the room. A lot of new names. Uh, well, there were some new names, but they dropped off. Parth, how's it going? Natasha, how's it going? Uh, Baba One, how's it going? Balaji, Joshua, Anti, what's going on, everybody? If you guys have questions, feel free to let us know. Um, looking into the chat here on uh, LinkedIn. By the way, folks tuning on LinkedIn, there's like 20 of you watching. By all means, um, let me know if you guys have questions or just click on that link to come and join us into the room. Um, Mark is asking, what is your preferred platform for model deployment in both cloud and hybrid environment? Uh, it's going to be whatever the company that I'm going to work at is using. Yes, that would be that would be the way I'd answer that. Um, uh, yeah, do you want to come into the to the chat and uh, uh, talk to us a little bit more in depth? Uh, Mark definitely would love to, to chat. But yeah, that's I would say it's whatever the company is already using. Um, but if you're doing something just on your own, uh, here I hear using AWS is fairly easy. So is GCP. Um, I think they're a little bit more easier to use than than Azure. In, in my experience, I've dabbled with both. I just felt like the documentation on AWS was so much more neater and cleaner than than Azure. Microsoft's documentation was not that great. Very hard to do stuff with. Um, so hopefully that answered your question, Mark, even though it was not really an answer. Uh, let's keep it going, see if anybody else has uh, questions. Um, if anybody has questions, let me know. I don't see anything coming in from YouTube or LinkedIn. Or is in the building too, I just saw Tor. Oh, snap, Tor, good to see you, man. Uh, Christoph has, yeah, Christoph, uh, you, you typed your question in somewhere. Let's see if you uh, if your microphone is working or not. Let's give it third third time is a, a charm. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I changed my mind. <laughs> uh, my question was about the recharge. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning, again, this uh, topic of burnout. And I believe this is pretty important to have something outside of the work that lets you clear the mind and everything. So I'm just interested to hear from you. How do you guys recharge to take the most of this time between work and work yeah man i wish i wish i had a good answer to that i wish i had like actual hobbies that were not just <laughs> learning stuff uh like for me recharging is just i so, so my way of recharging is typically man like i live a very regimented type of of life right i, I like to you know 4 a.m 8 a.m do my thing then go for a walk and then be extremely regimented and my way of recharging is just to completely destroy the routine and just live how I want, right? And I've been doing that for like the last, uh, since the last few weeks, really, since I've been uh, off work. And that's been helpful for me, just, just you know, removing all pressures from myself and just waking up when I want to sleep, like, you know, waking up and sleeping in, not, I don't want to say when I want, because uh, it's very fluid on how I do things now. So I guess that's one way I recharge is just completely destroy all of my routines and regimented lifestyle and build it back up. I, I, and I find I do that very often when I need to recharge. It might just be like a week in the week out of the month, I'll just 
completely just stop being so regimented and just build back up. So that's that's my way of recharging is, is just destroying and then coming back. Uh, I'd love to hear what other people do. Uh, Austin, by you. Yeah, um, this is a, is a good question. Um, I think I like Tor's answer, just do something different, try new things. And I think to even expand on that um, is like, talk to people who do different stuff <laughs> and have a different set of concerns and a different set of things that are making them struggle. And um, I feel very fortunate that I'm in a, a wonderful relationship with my partner who um, is just ready to engage in all those things. And I find that sometimes like trying to help her uh, kind of work through the things she's struggling with gives me energy to like go back and sort of solve the own, my own problems that I'm dealing with. Um, and then I would say this, like anything you can do to kind of dissolve your, like dissolve your ego a little bit. Like, and I say that just like in the, in the, not in like your egotistical, I just mean like in the sense of like the, the self thing that just like creates all these, um, like constraints that are sort of artificial on you. So anything you can do to kind of just like dissolve that, whether it's like, and I mean, like reading, re like I think Auntie's thing about reading fiction, just like anything that sort of takes you out of yourself. Cause I think like the, the feeling of being just so drained is you just, I feel, I feel that when I'm so internally uh, focused and just like spinning over my problems that I can't solve over and over and over and over again. So whatever I can do to sort of just like dissolve the ego, some of those, some, you know, some ways of doing that are, I think are healthier than others, obviously. Um, it's, it's a subtle distinction from like escapism. I'm not suggesting escapism necessarily. It's more of just like figuring out ways to put yourself in the context of others, your surroundings, something outside of yourself. Uh, is like super important for me to see that like, oh yeah, shit, this world is actually just bigger than like my little fucking desk here that I sit at eight hours a day or 10 hours a day or whatever it is. Like whatever it is that that makes sense for you to do that, I think is is helpful for me at least. Yeah, absolutely love that. I think that's kind of very much in line with, with what I was saying when I'm at like kind of destroying the routine and like just disintegrating all that and just building it back up. I, I like that a lot. Uh, Tor, what about you, man? And then uh, if anybody else would like to jump in here, uh, let me know. But uh, go for it. Uh, recharging, joining this group has been recharging for me. I mean, in the sense that it's, like I said in my uh, comment, it's just way out of my comfort zone. This is a complete different field, ML, AI, all of these things. But so it kind of gives me that other input. And sometimes I find it very relevant to what I do. And if it doesn't, then it's still relevant because I'm learning something. So that's one way. The other way I go and really recharge for me, recharging is taking my old car and go for a long drive and just blast the music. And, you know, it's really to disconnect. Unfortunately, I have a brain that works 24 seven. So for me, music, uh, watching TV, whatever it is, just to stop the brain from, working on problems or yeah anything that that's the key and uh ask me after watching a tv show what i watched i will not be able to give you an answer because it's just images passing by keeping the brain processing something that's not work related or projects or other things i got going on at any given time i love that too man actually i love driving uh, so there's you know a couple of times where i'll you know just hop in the car and just drive around just to listen to some music and just, you know, go fast as well. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, Auntie's talking about likes to run, do some cleaning, uh, which is what he's doing right now. Uh, he says, Auntie's, uh, or rather Austin says the word recharge kind of suggests plugging back in somewhere 
uh, but I can often be breaking those, breaking down those connections along yourself, the space to create new associations, et cetera. I like that a lot too. Um, there's a point uh, about cleaning up. So like Jordan Peterson talks about this, like just clean up your room, right? Just clean up your room. And, and you know, it's like a, a part of the cosmos that you have control over that you can come home to, that you can come to grips with. It's like your space. You can make it beautiful. You can do what you want with it. Uh, that's quite helpful as well. Um, I've actually done that too, as well as uh, just start doing some dishes, right? Just plug in some ear earphones and listen to something, just do some dishes and, uh, and, and get right into it. Mark is joining us at the uh, right moment. Mark, what's going on, man? Mark, uh, would love to hear your uh, question, uh, sorry, your uh, response to this question from Christoph. Christoph is asking us, uh, what do you do to recharge? My, my favorite thing right now, my, my job for like swag, gave us a hammock like uh, like a nylon hammock and at first i was like this is random but uh i i bought like a, like a used hammock portable hammock holder from amazon for like 30 bucks and like chilling on the hammock with like reading a book the most relaxing thing ever so like if the weather is nice that's like what i'm doing at five o'clock that's like the first thing i'm doing Bad. i like that awesome can we get some uh comet hammocks that would be a that would be awesome I love that. <laughs> you definitely look into it. I think that'd be uh, that'd be a very popular one for sure. Uh, and he's saying it's actually more important now that we're working from home. I feel yes, being able to recharge definitely, man. Um, it's weird, man. Like I was just thinking about how over the last year and a half or so, on average, the furthest I've been away from my home on average has been like two kilometers most. That's so crazy, man. It is like the same two kilometers. Like it, it, it gets draining, man. Like switching up the environment, trying to see something different is always fun. Uh, I think that's really helpful as well. I used to live by this motto back in grad school, and it was, uh, "What new experience can I have today?" And I've, I feel like I haven't lived up to that in a in a long time. But I think I'm gonna start reincorporating that. Like, what what can I see that's different? What's something new I can experience? What's a new song I can listen to? What's a new uh, youtube video i don't know whatever just something new experience something new um christoph what about you man what do you do to uh to recharge and uh, i watch sport when i've got time i i play i don't play anymore actually because of those restrictions and because i wake up at four and my trainings are like till 11 p.m so it's so it's either training or sleep <laughs> so i just sleep uh, and i love it's it's like really i love spending time with my daughter because she's i mean for us for for adults it's like amazing how quickly kids learn and i just admire everything she does like she's she wants to help with every with everything uh, by the way she's 17 months now, right now. So oh, nice. she's, God damn it. <laughs> but she's, she loves everything we do. She, she just wants to copy everything. Like, doesn't matter what, what we do, the, any little thing that we hate because, I mean, like cleaning or anything that we postpone, she, she enjoys it. And that's given me like, new look to everything and it helps me also to clear my mind I, I mean that's the time when i don't think about data science and reading and stuff 
that's my yeah. thing yeah, it's crazy man my, my son's like 16 months so just this right around the same age uh she was born, he was born i think here. there's like seven weeks difference something yeah. like that. i think i paid attention born? uh 21st march huh? okay yeah yeah okay so that's very close my son was born may 8th um they do they do they learn super quick man it's so fascinating and so i've been you know when i see him learn like i can't help but think of like machine learning or artificial intelligence just like how does he learn so quickly like i could point to one thing right i can point to one car and he knows what one car looks like now all of a sudden he knows that everything that looks like this is a car it's interesting because he's made the connection that i should start calling objects i should give them names so that people know that i'm trying to communicate uh that i want this object so like there's some random things like he calls a little soothie he made a, he made up a word for a soothie that we've never heard and he just refers to it by this 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 thing that he calls uh he calls his little soothie a, a bitta like, i have no clue like, where you came up with that he's got this he's got this uh picture frame in his bed and uh, bedroom and he calls that picture frame gugu it's like how do you come up with these names and he just he's a- able to able to realize that i should name objects or at least refer to objects by name i just I mean, that's just mind-boggling to me i wonder if there's any um brain scientists or neuroscientists that are listening to help help explain that to me because i found that to be extremely extremely fascinating but then i also uh, uh, uh I'll, I'll put on like uh, some great courses and i'll make him sit down and and watch geometry with me and he seems to really enjoy it he'll just be sitting there chilling like oh interesting stuff <laughs> like watching I was watching some lectures on geometry and multivariate calculus and he seemed to enjoy that. So I was like, yep, you sound like my son. Um, let's keep it going, guys. Questions uh, on anything whatsoever. We've got a good audience here on LinkedIn. Had a, had a bunch of people joining in. We'd love to have your questions. And also uh, here in the chat, a bunch of people that are here but haven't, uh, haven't participated. We'd love to have you guys hop in. Anything whatsoever, guys. I'm going to jump in today because I'm struggling at the moment. I started playing around with the uh, cryptos and, you know, I mean, not big money, just a little bit here and there. And I've been doing it now for about a month and a half. And I cannot find any trends or I can't understand what's going on. You know, with shares and companies, you can kind of have a feeling because it's so established. But for cryptos, all I'm seeing is just ups and downs, ups and downs. And one minute, it just jumped 30%. And... And I'm wondering, is there a way that you could uh, use machine learning, for example, to kind of go back and look at the historical data to kind of give some idea to explain what's going on? I mean, I have my own personal theories based on my past four weeks where I'm saying that it seems to me that the Sundays have a tendency of seeing quite large in, uh, increases and I'm figuring well they're sitting at home they're on their phone or laptop and then they buy Fridays have a tendency to see drops in the evening especially it rises during the day but it has a tendency to fall in the evening so I'm figuring probably somebody's sitting at the bar selling off some cryptos so that they can pay for the beer uh, I mean there's in a funny way so I'm just wondering if there's a way to Take that historical data, use some machine learning to kind of see if there are a time relationship, uh, relation between time of day, weekdays, et cetera, versus the ups and downs of the cryptos versus the main ones, which is the Bitcoin and the Ethereum. I hope this topic can be relevant, but. That's a hard question. I mean, question if you can do the answer to, man, 
we'd be all millionaires. Uh, well, that's what I'm trying to figure yeah. out, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I wish Carlos. When I play I around Carlos with my here. fifty coins. <laughs> yeah, uh, would jump into jump into Christoph here, but I mean, I'd, I'd say I don't like with regular markets, right? They have an opening bell and a closing bell, right? Um, so it might make sense to to apply some type of time model to to those prices but crypto is like it's 24 7 there's no market for it right so you might need to bring in if you wanted to try to understand how it's uh how things are affecting but yeah you probably would need to look at like text data i'd say like you know scraping reddit or something and getting some type of uh i just get that I just get the feeling that there's kind of like two things going on in the crypto. It's kind of fresh and new. So it's mostly emotions that are running it. It's like what people see on Facebook or read in the newspaper, which is kind of like the ups and downs. Okay. Suddenly the Bitcoin takes off and then everybody's buying Bitcoins. And, but I think there are a few um, people that are doing this more professionally in the sense that they have some kind of, I'm thinking, you know, if there was a lot algorithm or some sort that you could say that if it increases 20%, you sell 20% of your coins. And then if you see a drop of 20%, you buy 40% coins. And to me, this kind of over time, I would like to test those things, like those kind of what would, what if, okay, based on historical data, if I was putting in these parameters, and could I build that into an ML? And I could then actually play with it to give me some, okay, this would happen if I had done this over the past. But instead of me sitting and thinking up this, is there an ML function that could actually do that? I'd recommend uh, reading the book. Um, it's called uh, Machine Learning for, it might be, is it Machine Learning or Deep Learning for Al- Algorithmic Trading by Stefan Jansen? Um, I haven't gone through the book in its entirety, but I know it covers a lot of the type of topics that it seems like you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely look at that. I see Christoph has his hands up, so if he has some insight on this, I'd love to hear it. I unfortunately do not. Uh, Cassandra from uh, from LinkedIn here says it's it's all luck, like like gambling. Um, that that's true. how I look at it now. It's uh, it's gambling, you know. It's uh, yeah. like oh, I I I don't uh, have it, and that's why I'm just playing with little things right now. I'm just doing the little numbers to buy one or two coins because I want to try and get a feel for what's going on before you actually start thinking or uh, to make it more the, the, the potential. To me, it's like buy a thousand different coins. If just one of them kicks off and gets into the Bitcoin range, uh, you're okay, even though you lose on all the others. But to do that, you need to kind of be at the beginning and now is the time in my mind and over time it's going to be established like everything else <laughs> so it's just yeah. to kind of try and make it happen now so some some uh i guess some fun some not fundamental but some uh supplemental reading uh nasim taleb's um looking at his book right now uh fooled by randomness uh just to kind of paint the the uh just to add some color commentary into like you know how he thinks about trading and how he views randomness. It's a great book. And then another one was uh, is the book by Benoit Mandelbrot, or is it uh, The Misbehavior of Markets? Yeah, Benoit Mandelbrot. Um, I haven't read into that one yet, um, but I will soon. I, I plan on uh, going deep into uh, algorithmic trading with deep learning in the very near future. Uh, so you can keep an eye out uh, for some content around that. But 
Uh, Christoph, go for it. I know you had your hand up. Uh, I, I was just thinking uh, how many people who are like total advanced, like professors and people with multiple years of experience in AI and deep learning and stuff, how many of them are buying based on their models? And I think there are very few, if any, because uh, this doesn't work like that. I mean, there you, you might find some trends. There is, of course, something like uh, time series analysis and you, you do it with uh, like different kind of deep models like recurrent neural networks. There are those memory sets like LSTMs and stuff. Uh, but you can't predict the future. And you, you'd have to predict what Elon Musk is going to tweet tomorrow. Or uh, I, I just don't know. I, I don't believe that any people who do have experience and they could do it because they already have enough knowledge that, that they do it because they know it's not doable. That's my opinion about that. Really good comments coming in from Rodney here on LinkedIn. Rodney saying that uh, machine learning is bad at explanations. That's why all the debate around, that's why there's all this debate around explainable AI. He also says that crypto is a time series problem. Uh, it is extremely hard to beat a random walk. I agree with you on that one as well. The crypto market is largely speculative. Almost everyone is trading on noise. Um, and, and that's what I agree with. But the, 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 let me give... The reason why I got into it, for example, I mean, with all these new online banks, et cetera, I signed up for an online banking and now they're offering to buy and change cryptos. PayPal is now introducing it. So basically it's now coming out to the general public. And in my mind, the general public, including me, has absolutely no clue. But yet I've started buying, you know, a little bit here and there. This to me means that the demand will increase. And it's going to increase rapidly in the future as these online banking services, et cetera, is going to start to offer the service. And I mean, all the warnings are there. Don't invest if you don't know and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. But, you know, we know how people are. It's like you said, the Twitters and Elon Musk and the latest news, that's going to trigger it. But the, the impact of those triggers are just going to be so great because now more people have access. I believe that Bitcoin previously, it's more difficult because you have to have an exchange platform, an account in the beginning, and it was more, um, all of these, it, the, 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 to get into it was not easy. Now it's becoming so easy that the volume is just going to be uh, driving the force. It's going to be a driving force. That's what I believe. And that's kind of why I'm now kind of thinking that maybe it's uh, not because I believe that Bitcoin makes sense or any of these coins actually has some, uh, it's not like a company where you have a share value. The, the coins are more feelings like the guy mentioned. So this is why I kind of, I wouldn't mind yeah. see if I could find a project and find somebody who can make this program and I could do the analysis. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the more interesting thing is actually just the blockchain technology itself, right? Like, you know, Bitcoin is just one implementation of blockchain, but just the blockchain technology itself, like the applications of that are far ranging that it can have effects on the future that we can't even imagine, right? Like Bitcoin can just be like, I'm dating myself here, but Bitcoin can just be the Friendster right now, right? Of social media, right? Because before there was Facebook and all that stuff, there was what Friendster, MySpace, whatever, right? Um, so, but social media as a as a thing is the, is the larger trend that, you know, 
be paying attention to. Uh, kind of the same analogy I want to make for blockchain, right? Like Bitcoin is just one implementation of it, but the technology itself is what we should be paying attention to. Mark, uh, go for it. And then after Mark, uh, Antti, I, I see you're unmuted as well. So if you want to jump in as well after Mark, uh, go for it. Yeah, that, that was a that was a perfect segue to the point I was going to make. I put in a link to Carlos's book um, for decentralized finance and blockchain, where is it like a pretty good like intro into understanding the space. Um, it's it's donation based, I believe, so it's a, it's a great book and, and fun to read. Um, but essentially, like s- similar to what Harpreet was saying, is like I think one of the main things is that you need to look at the underlying technology for these new coins. So it's, it's it's like a lot less random in that sense where you're actually more so like approaching it like a, like an investor in a way, not an investor as a consumer, but like investor in a business where you're seeing like, where are the type of contracts? How is this coin devised? Like what's this business utility used for, um, for that? So, um, you know, for example, for like, and I'm, I'm not a blockchain crypto expert, so take it with a grain of salt, but like Bitcoin, that was like one of the first market to show a proof of concept of, of like blockchain working in a financial institution uh, or, or a financial um, tool. But then you have Ethereum, similar thing, but it's like all around smart contracts and, um, you know, having a method in which you use crypto to set forth like uh, contracts and actions to execute kind of automatically. And so like there's different types of like underlying technologies and like implications and uses. There are like stable coins that like, match the value of the dollar right which has another utilization and so i think it's like less about like what's gonna be the next hot thing in the sense of like what's gonna pop off there's no way to really like understand <laughs> understand that because it's like completely like noise right but rather like what's the underlying technology of like why is this coin being built what's its purpose what's its unique what makes it unique for further adoption among others um <laughs> so and the, to kind of talk about like the randomness like doji coin doji doji where the hell is called um that's crazy popular and it was created as a joke <laughs> like it wasn't even try it's got memes into existence right um so like there's no way you can predict that and it has no u- u- utility really um designed within it as compared to like other coins um i, I think another one and I think Carlos mentioned is uh, like Batcoin, um, basic attention, something along the lines, but where essentially the coin is designed to pay creators say like, hey, I'm going to like support you um, and give you this coin because I watch an ad in exchange. So there's like different technologies. And I think that's like a key thing. Like I, th- I wish a lot more people looked into for, for crypto is like the technology applications of it um, beyond just being speculative. It's the thing, you know, it's like I'm lazy. I'm not a big book reader, <laughs> I have to admit. So I'm kind of, you know, trying the experience approach first. So, but I, but I see your point. I agree with you. Um, I've done some white paper reading just to get a little bit more behind. I got a few Dodge coins. You never know, you know, it takes off, but doesn't have a proper value. When you read the articles from people that quote unquote understand the industry, they're all saying the Dodge coin is. Nothing. It's just emotions because it ha- doesn't have, uh, there's no purpose. It doesn't have, you You can't use it for anything at this moment. But then again, one day maybe somebody figure a way to use it for something. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, man, just excited to see where, where these trends take off. And I think spending some time, a couple hours, you know, a few hours at least just to, to understand the blockchain technology and try to see different applications for it. And then maybe think about how 
those applications can be melded together with machine learning, I think would be very fruitful to do, right? It's a good exercise to, to undertake or to find those intersections, get in on them early. Like Carlos is doing that right now, right? He's on the, you know, he's, he's interested in it. And because he's interested, he's pushing so much energy and effort into it. He's understanding something and this is going to pay dividends to him, right? He's, he's exploring something new and novel. He's on the frontier of it. Um, you know, you got to be a little bit eccentric to be out on the frontier, um, but he's just going deep into it uh, just because he's interested and encourage you guys to do the same. I still think as well that Carlos basically through blockchain, like for the boot camp he's doing, he made a post about how he essentially created his own loan to pay for it based off his crypto assets, which is wild, which is like, again, showing the utilization of like crypto and blockchain technology outside of like the financial aspect of itself, but like creating tools to mitigate the need for for like a what's called like a trusted third party yeah yeah so great topic toward thanks for uh, opening up that discussion see some comments coming in from from linkedin um thank you cassandra for your comments just saying that uh you know we can't predict the future if we could then we would be able to stop natural disasters yes that is true uh any other questions or comments please let me know shout out to everybody in the room uh that we have not heard from that's natasha baba uh, balaji auntie joshua if you guys got questions, now's the time because we are going to start wrapping it up. Oh, Mark has a question. Go for it. Uh, so my my good friend's learning software engineering right now, and he's been deep in it. And he recently asked me a question. He's like, what's the difference between writing code and writing production level code? And um, I kind of struggle to give an answer because like, I, I've kind of done it at my, at my job. And I kind of have done it at my job. But like, I'm curious what other people think, like what 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 separates production level code from others? I think production level code is probably a lot more thoroughly and rigorously tested, um, probably more version controlled because you've got multiple people working on the same chunk of code, essentially the same body of code. Um, yeah, that, that's probably the two biggest things. Like it's more thoroughly tested, it's more version controlled and uh, more well-documented for sure, right? You have to really outline your thinking process and add copious documentation um, but that, I'll flip this one over to Christoph since he's, you know, actual software engineer. Uh, what do you think? I was afraid to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> uh, I think it's just better. De de <clears throat> the design is better. I mean, there are, uh, I mean, uh, everything what Harpreet said, and <clears throat> it needs to meet some standards, like good design. I, I don't have really so much experience i've done production for javascript like for front end years ago but it was like with this react thing which is i mean when you code with react there are some standards you just need to follow to not to get lost in in the in the project itself itself in the code and i've done some java and it was like pretty much the same. You you choose some tool like libraries and they just guide you and you make sure that everybody's paying attention to like clean code in this case. But I mean, yeah, I, if you like just code, sorry. No, no, I, I like that point about the, the design pattern, right? Like you're like, for example, if you're writing in Python, then make sure you're strictly ad adhering to like PEP8 standards. Uh, but sorry, so go go on for it. Um, I was actually done. I, I mean, okay. it, like when you code, you can you can write really dirty code that does what you need. 
and nobody looks at it, but it makes what you expect. But it's mostly like only parts of of the code. If you're working on like a big, bigger project that has multiple, um, multi, many parts, you can just code dirty here, dirty there, dirty there, because you're not be able to connect the, the parts. But it's also design. Yeah, I mean, point him to uh, the pragmatic programmer that would be like the number one book i'd point him to it's like all right whatever these guys say yeah that right there that's like the the, the bible for production level code um that's the first book i sent him <laughs> yeah but yeah. It, it was interesting when you asked me this like i know how to write it but like i explain it to another person i, I i'm trouble coming up with words yeah because i mean when you're doing code for your own project it's like okay well you could you can make all the bad mistakes that you want to make because you're the only one interacting with it right but when you're working on a team like it's important to follow those design patterns right because um, they're there for a reason it just makes it easier to review right it makes it'll make it easier for things to stick out for people i was reading you know another book by andy hunt which was uh pragmatic thinking and learning and he was talking about the importance of how ha following good design patterns and following the design conventions, for example, PEP8 just reduces the cognitive load for somebody who is reviewing your code. Um, I'll see if I can pull that up, but um, it'll be you know, hard to right now. But I guess that's kind of the, the main difference is production level code is code that is not just for you, that you're just going to be part of a larger body of work with many other individuals. Uh, so it needs to be more clearly written, more well documented, and make sure you're adhering to whatever coding style is applicable for either your team or that language itself hopefully that was satisfactory uh shout out to all the software engineers who are just uh roasting me right now on linkedin um <laughs> uh anders asking what's the relationship between deep learning and bitcoin technology i don't know yet you'd have to explore that um I'm sure there could be some connections could be some applications but definitely worth exploring questions last minute questions for anyone else please do let me know either balaji parath Natasha, Joshua, Auntie, the 20 or so people watching on LinkedIn, let me know. Does not look like there are any other questions. Um, I guess we can go ahead and call it a day then. Guys, remember next Sunday will be, uh, we're actually going to be um, off next Sunday. My wife and I will be in Vancouver, BC, um, just chilling out a little bit, leaving the baby with the uh, with four grandparents here. I think he'll be well taken care of. Uh, so we won't be, we will not be here next Sunday, but possibly the Sunday after that. I think we're going to have to uh, get that schedule set up. Don't forget to join in on the happy hours on Friday. This Friday, I've got uh, our community member, Antonio, uh, taking over the role of host uh, for Friday's happy hour session. So that should be fun. Definitely make sure you guys show up, support him, come with some good questions, keep the conversation lively and fun. Don't forget to tune into the episode I released with Jeff Lee earlier this week. Check out the interview that I did with Kenji as well on his podcast and let me know what you guys think. Thanks for joining us, guys. As usual, remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone.